Did I did I tell you about the breakfast bowl? The breakfast bowl? So on Thursday Thursday, I think. Um my ritual in the morning that I have to stick to otherwise I get into a mad depressive state is I wake up at seven, I have to get out of bed within like fifteen minutes or half an hour. I mm-hmm. go through it, I have my cereal or other breakfast things and my cup of tea and then I take my medicine. And that's my schedule. I've been on the cocoa shreddies this week. It's so nice and delicious because cocoa you, shreddies are great. Yeah, you let it sit for a bit, and then is when they're like half soggy, half crunchy, peak shreddy time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I had my cereal, and I remember putting the bowl like to the left of my like placemat, and then I was like, I'll have my cup of tea now. And then Louise came through, chatted her for a bit, and then I was like, Where's my bowl? And I couldn't figure out if Louise had taken it, but I, 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 I was like, I don't remember Louise taking my bowl. I was like, did I take my bowl? Because, like, I'd been living out the schedule for, like, weeks. Yeah. I was like, I could have taken my bowl, or is that yesterday's memory? And I was so confused, and I checked the dishwasher, and the bowl was in the dishwasher. Didn't <laughs> yeet out of existence, so it was in the dishwasher. And I was like, what, what happened? But I had to go to work. So I went to work. And the whole day I was like, but what happened to my bowl? And I come home and I'm like, Louise, did you move my bowl this morning? And she was like, yeah, I like picked it up. You looked directly at me. I said, I'm going to take this into the kitchen. You said nothing and just went back to whatever you were doing on your phone. And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it was literally like a fugue state of just... Apparently, I'm like, it, oh my it god, never, it, something happened within my brain, and that never became a memory. It just blanked out. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> uh, so yeah, last night after we had our nachos and well, because we had nachos while we watched Mandalorian, I put my plate beside me, and then the episode finished. Louise took her plate, grabbed my plate, and went, "I'm taking your plate to the kitchen, Louise." <laughs> I can see you this time. This happened. I can. This is. This actually happened. This is being registered. Yeah, I registered this as a thing that happened. But yeah, the only thing I can compare it to is like when you're that drunk that you can't make memories. Oh God, yeah. But I was like completely sober and just enjoying my breakfast, probably scrolling through Tumblr, and uh... just you're like, okay, because. I guess this happened. All like, right. I don't know if that's better or worse than that. I forgot I was getting tattooed. Story. Uh, I think I th- I think it's got um, more of a more of a story structure to it. Than yeah, just, I think like, I, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those ones where it just it just like sort of you're like oh shit, I totally forgot about yeah, that. Whereas this one's like I watched Louise take my bowl and then later was like <laughs> it probably like, even like five minutes later was like where's my bowl? <laughs> you're like what happened? Hello everybody, welcome back to the newest season of a prop, a big prop, of a popcorn profile, a prop, a popcorn profile, and once again you're joined by myself Sam, and once again by Becca. Hello, thank you and for hitting your microphone when you introduced me. That's no worries, let's be honest, it's the high level of professionalism you've come to expect from the show at this point, if you're still listening, yeah. thank you. 
Um, We've got high levels of professionalism. Whether or yes. not we used to engage them. It's a different story. I said mm. used to engage. We're rolling with it. Yeah, we're rolling with it. We're rolling with it. Yeah. And t- today we are starting our first look at the f- films of a one Mr. Satoshi Kon, which I'm, which was, Woo. Woo. which was my pick, um, for this for this new run cycle that we're doing of directors, uh, and we're starting with his first film, uh, Perfect Blue, which I think came out in 1994. Um, 97. 97. It was 94-97. I don't know why I always get those confused, and I'm pretty sure it's because a Radiohead album came out in 94, and then OK Computer came out in 97. I don't know how my brain works, I don't know how it collates that information specifically, but here we are. The only um, other date I've got is 2001, and that's because we watched Monsters Inc. last night, and Louise kept being like, I was three. You were six. And I was like, Louise, stop it. Stop. It's like when it's like when I was streaming and she was going about like, you and Becca could have legally adopted me when you turned yeah. a specific age. And I was like, Louise, stop, stop this right now. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Anyway, so I've seen Perfect Blue. This this would have been. <clears throat> I watched it for the. This was the fourth time that I watched it. Mm. Um, and Becca, this was your first time seeing it. Yeah. So. uh out of curiosity, because you watched this really early in the morning. I watched it at half seven. Yeah, you watched it at half seven. Hell of a way to start the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What What What'd you think? I really enjoyed it. Nice. Did you Did you watch it dubbed or subbed? Both are good. I watched um, it dubbed because I was too tired to read. That's fair. So. And also, I wanted to go make a cup of tea at some point, but I actually ended up pausing it because I was so into it. I was like, I cannot miss any of this. Uh, Oh damn! Really? Okay, good. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad because like I felt like with Perfect Blue, I was like, I don't know which way this is gonna go. Because uh, Louise would have hated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've had I every time I've watched this, I've watched it with people. Um, the first time I watched it, I watched it with my flatmate, who mm-hmm. doesn't really get shake, who didn't get really shaken at anything. This film kind of made him feel a bit uncomfortable. Right. Uh, I I watched it with uh, I watched it with I watched it with Brune, uh-huh. gave him gave him nightmares, <laughs> and coward. <laughs> yeah, it's very quiet for you. What, Don't what, know if it'll be audible. No, that'd be funny. <laughs> and I've watched it with I've watched it with Liv twice, um, and Liv was like, "Wow, this was." not as messed up as I thought it was going to be the way you were talking about it Sam I was like yeah, yeah you hyped it so much and I was well in anything at least it kind of softened the blow a little bit I mean I think the main thing I got from this is that you underestimate how much something just being horror based or like shocking just graphic like violence just really appeals to me and I don't know why but like when the pizza man um, just yep. stabbed that guy in the eye. I was like, <gasps> like yeah. excitement. Like, oh, I loved it. And I don't <sighs> know why, but well, I like do. Because the... it's, it's like the the best way to just be like, add another level to the story. Get it hyped. Yeah, well, it's like the, the whole fact that he even makes the point that as soon as he gets stabbed, it fucking freezes the shot for like at least two seconds. And you're like, oh, all right. Okay. And then it's just fucking blood everywhere and then you get that slow-mo scene of just Mima just going crazy with the, with the screwdriver and um and then there's the other bit where the first guy gets killed where you just hear like the the cham single 
playing in the elevator and then it just cuts to the guy just with his eyes out in the elevator and I remember like every single person I went through myself included were just like what the fuck what <laughs> oh man we're gonna have to find a film that's like along this level and like watch it together so you can see how weird my reactions to stuff like this are <laughs> like honestly it was the same with Bone Tomahawk where it's like no, no guy's getting scalped and I'm like nice prosthetics yeah this is some good <laughs> shit man like nice art like you know I was like jamming along to the jam song and then he's dead in the elevator and I'm like Ooh. Yeah, that that champ song's a banger. <laughs> yeah, I was like, five minutes. So, yeah, I I put the film on. And I started it, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm into it. I'd already looked up how long it was, so I'd read like a synopsis, but like a really brief one of like Pop Idol wants to be an actress, and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that's fair. That's enough backstory yeah. I need. And then it gave me like big we need to talk about kevin vibes at the start when it was going between her performing on stage and her and just casually normal... shopping yeah and so I'll... i thought there was a time gap there wasn't i quickly realized there wasn't a time gap and i was completely on the wrong tracks for the story and it was mm-hmm. like weird split personality mystery things i saw one of the tags was like crime and mystery i'm like what could be a mystery about this yeah. Oh, I figured out what the mystery was. Yeah, and like, um, I think one of my one of my favorite things about the film is like, my particularly favorite segments is when you get to like the sort of second act where Mima kind of realizes that something, like, finds out about Mima's room, like the chat room about her. Yeah. That she, that she's writing, and then like, God, I heard someone sum up as like reality begins to swim in the idea that it's just everything starts to just feel like it spirals. Like she keeps repeating waking up in this in her bed in the same way every day for like three days, and then you can't she can't tell apart what's going on in the show, what's going on in her life, and um, that whole scene when she gets um like the the scene where she runs in front of the truck and then she wakes up, or the scene when she's being she's talking about how she's got a split personality where she thinks she was a pop idol wanting to be an actress, kind of thing, and. Then it cuts back and it reveals what the actual scene was. Because I remember when I watched that, I was like, please tell me that's not the actual thing that happened. And it's like, no. I was like, oh, okay, no. And I, I thought the film was really good at messing with you in terms of trying to figure out what the hell was going on. It put you in Mima's mindset of what she was going through really well. See, it didn't mess with me. I found it really relatable. Um, Feel free to insert the bowl story here if you want. Because we were recording that, weren't we? Yeah, we were. Okay, yeah, feel free to insert the bowl story. Mm-hmm. And, like, the sort of, did I dream this? Or did I actually live it? And, like, trying to figure out what is real right now. I'm living that. And so I found it really relatable. I'm not murdering people. Or no. getting hit by trucks. Or, like, it's a new level of that. But, yeah, I was able to, like, easily relate to, to Mima. And they're like, oh, I want to do this. Or do I not want to do this? And, like, the sort of, what? it's a new day again oh days are so weird and long and i was like oh, i feel you mima i got you yeah yeah i think um and it's one thing that i thought was really interesting when this came out as well because it came out in like 97 and a lot of anime stuff was really sort of like you know like your sailor moons and your pokemon types which is fine but it wasn't like it was all kind of i guess you could say samey well maybe not maybe not with pokemon and that but it was kind of like satoshi khan specifically said when he was making it he kind of wanted to do something that was a bit 
like it deviated from the norm of the general mainstream of anime, which is kind of like you know your shonens, where it's like the good guys fight the bad guys, or like Pokemon where Ash goes on the big adventure, catches all the monsters, kind of thing. Yeah. Or like he'll save the day to the point where like there's bits where like you see like anime posters on buses, and he looks so cartoony and over the top, it's ridiculous. And you get like people look like like I really like the art style in the film in which like people look like I guess more realistic people than your traditional animes where everything looks kind of sort of clean and I feel like when I watch an anime I feel like a lot of people unless it's particularly stylized everything kind of looks the same if that makes sense yeah I was thinking that at the start but then I quickly realized that it was like a stylistic choice for Cham to all look quite similar yeah and that everyone else had like their own unique face and they were very memorable and their own like hairstyles and stuff like mm-hmm it was like um you could like and I, f- I feel like it, it did something very well which is also get like different people sort of like weights and heights and sizes and stuff like uh, Mister Me Mania is oh, good old Me Mania being good, creepy from the start yeah um I always think of that shot where he's like going like that with his hand where he's holding his hand up he's like holding me, and I I remember first time I watched it I was like what is what is this what the hell is happening here excuse me sir what are you doing yeah sir please stop. And then you have, um, like, Rumi, who's kind of, like, um, like I guess a bit bigger than, say, Mima. And then you get the sort of backstory, like, Mima was, like, uh, Rumi was a, used to be a pop idol, but it was pastor now, which would explain some motives that we'll get into later. Yeah, Rumi has, like, classic mum bod. Yeah. Where it's, like, sort of a bit short, a bit, like carrying a bit more weight but it's because she's like you know slowed down but still is active and like doing stuff like that sort of classic you can mm-hmm. see her life with the way her body is and the way she's lived it mm-hmm. I'd like um, like even, you but you can even tell in terms of the way um, Rumi's features are positioned like I was, I noticed when I first watched her, her eyes were slightly farther apart than yeah. say other people or um yeah, like that for example, and um, like and again, Mima and like Cham, they kind of look like they all look very similar because they look kind of I guess the gentrified standards of beauty because you know they're, they're like they're like models basically, singers yeah. and actresses, kind of thing, um, and then everyone else kind of just looks. I I feel like they would that they look like realistic people except for Mimania. Mimania just looks like a fucking nightmare. Just a little bit. A little bit. Like this just a little bit like, nightmare. Like just there's those shots where it's just like you just see him in the background and then it just get get a little zoom in where he does like a little creepy smile and the elevator closing you're like nope don't like that. Do do not want me mania. Do not stand me mania. Do not want that. Do, do not, not want, want that. Uh, that was what Brun specifically got nightmares about was him. <laughs> but he's so like he's creepy. I'll give you that. But he's also like so wholesome and just doing it because he's literally being manipulated by Rumi. He's as much a victim as Mima is. Unfortunately, he doesn't get, like, happy, looks into the mirror, I'm myself, and then he's just dead. Yeah. Oh, God, the ending, I will say this, the ending just, like, it's just so abrupt. It's like, I'm I'm myself. Yeah, I was kind of waiting for, like, another stinger or something. Like, it was, but no, it just ends. And I was like, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. With, I can deal with this. Yeah, it's not going to leave me thinking. No. It was a rounded story. It told it. It finished it. Mm-hmm. It's done. I like it. Yeah, I think um, one of the things when when this was getting ri- when it was getting 
like what was in production it was like it's ba- it's based on like a japanese book called perfect blue a metamorphosis but uh, one of the things that really kind of changed the sort of flavor of the whole story of the book of the of the film was um was the did you hear about the bjork stalker uh in like the 1990s i can't remember his name but, Maybe, um, but I'm going to say no, so you explain it for any viewers who have not heard of it. Okay, so the Bjork... I'm going to actually look it up because I just need a little... Refer- yeah, Ricardo Lopez. Ignore the noises of Sam typing. Yeah, so Ricardo Lopez, he was, he was like the Bjork stalker. Ricardo. Um, not Ricardo. <laughs> no, not Ricardo. Specifically <laughs> not Ricardo. friend, Ricardo. <laughs> Ricardo, if you're listening, it's not you. <laughs> we can promise you I'm did sure not you- stalk Bjork. No, yeah. Um... Yeah, Ricardo Lopez, he was like a stalker who was obsessed with Bjork and he'd film himself doing these videos about how much he loved Bjork and he sent her like a... He sent her like a mail bomb as like his final plan to try and kill her and then he was going to kill himself by, uh, I think, by drinking acid so they could be together in the afterlife. That was going to be my question, was was it so they could be together in the afterlife? Yes. Yes, it was. Um, And... Like the the videos are on the internet. That's the worst part. Like you can go find them. They're, I I've seen a, a three second snippet. Not enough. That with no audio. It was just when someone was. It was funny enough. Someone was talking about Perfect Blue, and it was. It just like the that little bit of footage enough was like okay. I I can't I can't watch this. It's like, and I think one thing I do quite like about Perfect Blue was the idea of the um. That I think explores really well is the idea of your parasocial relationship, where like Rumi, not Rumi, well Rumi as well, but mainly um, Mima specifically trying to live her like public life, um, whereas in her private life she wants to become an actress um, over being a singer. But people's perceptions of her is like, no, Rumi, uh, Mima wouldn't, Mima wouldn't want this because Mima is a pop idol and she should be a pop idol. She shouldn't be doing this trashy uh, murder mystery garbage where it's very like sort of risque and you know and people have different ideas of what you want out of your life despite the fact you don't know them you just know the persona that they're putting out there and a lot of people really stick to this film for that because this was like what before the internet became a real like I don't know where would you say the internet boom when everyone started using the internet would have been roughly because I feel like when you get that I was a, lo- a child, I did not pay attention to when people no. use the internet. No. I personally didn't get a computer till I was like 13, maybe like 2005, like early 2000s, a bit late. Because everyone was like scared of the 2000s, right? Yep. And they didn't <laughs> want to like get the computers in case the computers went mental. Case of Y2KI. So I would imagine once everyone realised that, oh, technology is fine, then. Yeah. Uh, but the, um, oh yeah, no, so specifically the thing I was thinking of was like the, sort of the invention of Facebook and people putting like their public image on Facebook, showing what they're like. It's, it, or like, um, say a YouTuber. 2008. Like, yeah. 2008, 2008, there we go, boom. Thanks, Becca. See, if you ask your actual question, you get an actual answer. If you ask weird nonsense questions, you get weird nonsense answers. Okay. Good to know. I'll need to work in the weird nonsense somehow. 
So, but it's like let or, or like the like YouTube personas where you like let's say Markiplier, Markiplier the YouTuber is going to be very different to Markiplier Peak the individual. Two thousand and twelve is for Markiplier. Peak twenty twelve was that when was that when FNAF was kicking off? For FNAF him, was 2010, 2011. Mm. Oh wait, it was twenty twelve. I have playing... no idea. I'm pulling most of these dates. You pull numbers. You just pull places. numbers. Do you want me to look up? I I can. You, we can... you don't you don't have to. I was just going for like an example. Of like... No, you you've called it. I need to see if I'm right. Oh, uh, you need to find out if you were right about peak Markiplier. Yeah. But like um, and it's like this 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 mass assortment of fans where you like get people they get you know like say if someone wants to make a change in their career they get like death threats or you know really uncut like like people think that they're friends with with people but like you know it's like a it's like a personality it's 2014 you know. I was off ah, slightly damn it <laughs> you're close though you you weren't far off you're like two two years off that's not too bad at all maybe I was thinking of like some someone else potentially okay so Markiplier Peak was like 2014 yeah it might have been like Game Grumps or Achievement Hunter I was thinking of yeah but like let's th- there is an example of like you know like I've he- I've heard of folks saying with like Jacksepticeye Markiplier that they feel like um, I can't remember who it was I think it was someone at school who were like yeah I'm gonna meet Jack at one of the live shows he's doing he's gonna be my boyfriend and I was like oh Okay, all right now. <laughs> Do I need to introduce you to a little website called Tumblr.com? <laughs> yeah, so probably. there's an account on Tumblr and they're called Heritage Posts and they are dedicated to the sort of older, weirder posts on the website and cataloging them mm-hmm. and to showing what weird nonsense people have been up to. And yeah, like it's not filled with stuff like that but it's that's like a good example like it's Mm -hmm. something that the website's known for you can avoid it and like you know not get anywhere near any of these stuff but yeah like the sort of weird culture of being so attached to like fictional characters or real life people Mm -hmm. is just weird and i feel like it's it's grown to the point now where whenever these like scandals happen and you find out someone's like doing really horrible stuff in their own personal time people feel actually literally be- like betrayed by them mm-hmm. they do. because they're so attached to them and it's just as problematic as these people who were like determined that they would be their boyfriends or they would do this and they would do that because it's like becoming so attached to someone you don't know you only really know the sort of the personality yeah the personality that they're projecting onto their whatever platform they are so like Markiplier's YouTube profile Jacksepticeye's YouTube profile things like that Um, and a lot of people like to point Perfect Blue is like look this is what Perfect Blue was fucking talking about this is like people but like the side of the fandom taking what they think is right for the person that's projecting that personality of themselves. Yeah, like, ah, uh, yeah, the reason that this show isn't giving us the gay representation we need is clearly because one of the actors is homophobic, <coughs> not because 
the writers aren't willing to do it or the producers are stopping it or the studios stopping it uh, clearly yeah. because one of the actors was homophobic yeah of course that's that's exactly what it is isn't it it's just... to the point where the gay auntie like genuinely was like i'm um, actually no he's very supportive of me for god's sake can i, can I ask what are you referencing i, I want to natural what's the supernatural supernatural yeah castiel's gay and he got sent to super hell <laughs> excuse me he's gay he came out to dean he was that happy he told dean that he loved him that the empty came back fulfilled their promise of if you've ever experienced true happiness buffy style then you'll get sent to super hell and he was so happy telling Dean that he loved him, he got sent to super hell for being gay. What kind of... What the f... <laughs> God damn it. They're really pulling it in at the end. I'll let oh. you know if it's proper... If he gets to live as a as a gay. I hope he does. Because otherwise, I just see the rest of my fellow gays in super hell and we'll have fun there. Yeah. It'll be a party. Yeah. I mean, why not? It's super hell. Oh. Come on. Better than regular hell. Better than purgatory. Probably better than heaven. Can't be gay there. Gotta be gay in super hell. Mm, there you go. <laughs> what, the, what the hell are we talking about? We were talking about people being really weird in response to things about actors. And that's why I started talking about people thinking that one of the actors in that show is homophobic because his character did not respond when... This other character said, by the way, I'm gay and I love you and I'm dying. Like, how would you respond to that, Sam? If, like, imagine you and your partner are the same gender and you're not together together, but there's been, like, ten literal years of, like, build-up and they've died and came back, like, 17 times. And then they're, like, crying and they say that what they want in life they cannot have say they love you, say they're dying, and then get yeeted to super hell. I want to get them out of super hell. Yeah, yeah, he he just broke down crying and people were like, homophobic. It's like, lads, lads, you don't know these actors, but we can confirm that they are not, one, homophobic, two, actually going to super hell because you're gay. I only had one point, so I had to make up a second one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. And God damn it, Mima can be an actress if she bloody well wants to. Leave it out. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I feel like if it was made now, there would be like a sort of sexuality thing to it or something like mm-hmm. updated to it. it. It was very much of the 90s. There was like <laughs> one particular line where I was like... <clears throat> Oh no. Which, which line was it? It was um when we first see the crime drama. Oh yeah. And the the lady's like, "Do you know why he cuts the skin off of his victims?" Oh god, like, yeah. Why why does he? It's like because he wants to be a woman. It's like, "I don't know." That's very Would... transphobic of you. Please stop. There's it's many like... other reasons for people to cut off people's skin. You could be curious, you could like the way it feels, you could like the look of it, but it doesn't necessarily mean you want to be a yeah. different gender. Wow. Yeah, I, I would I, cut that line out. I added nothing and just made it transphobic. I, I literally kind of felt like it was trying to just be like the shady, shitty, kind of edgy detective mystery show, just trying to do the rip-off of Silence of the Lambs. 
Yeah, Silence of the Lambs was out at this point, right? Hmm? So, Silence of the Lambs was out at this point, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So it could have been like a slick reference to Silence of the Lambs, but Silence of the Lambs is also really problematic and transphobic. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, what do you think of the soundtrack at all? Because I thought, I thought it was really kind of fitting to the film. It's by a guy called Suzumu Hirasawa, who has worked with Khan for all but three of his films. No, all but one of his films, which was Tokyo Godfathers, which is what we'll be doing next. Um, but I kind of like the whole sort of weird, messed up vocals and the weird sort of percussion, and it just everything kind of just felt really stressful and condensed. That really added to the film. I'll be really honest with you. Go for it. I don't honestly pay that much attention to music in films. Fair. And when I do, it's got to be like quite standout. Like I really notice the music in Shape of Water because mm. it was like that sort of delicate pianos and like the it's very memorable. I cannot remember any of the music in Perfect Blue, but I can tell you that the Mandalorian season two episode three has some lit music in it. Is it li- how lit we talking? Me and Louise were dancing to the soundtrack. Oh shit! But like, not even like music, music, just like the actual music during the episode. We're like, like yeah, this is away. this is some this is some this is some funky tunes. Yeah, I would also recommend The Mandalorian if you just want season one of things happen and plot, and then season two of where's the main plot? It's like, oh, Mandalorian, you have to do all these side quests. It's like, oh, okay, it's side <clears throat> quest the TV show, and I am loving it. To be fair, it's like that's the thing that kind of draws me into wanting to watch it where it just it's like it's like on the ass end of the galaxy it's nowhere near Jedi it's nowhere near well maybe Yoda not... gives us so much feels yeah me I and just... Louise just call him Bub now call him Bub yeah so he'll be doing something cute and we'll be like ah and Louise will be like what she's not in the room and I'm like Bub and she's like oh, Bub <laughs> excellent anyway yeah I don't remember any of the music in Perfect Blue except for like the jam songs because they yeah. were I was vibing to them and like yeah, they're super catchy. It's funny because I I the, I watched it for the dub for the first time for for this viewing of it, um, and I was like, will they translate well to Japanese from Japanese to English? Because they sound really good in Japanese as well. And I was like, because I was that was one of the things I was worried about. I was like, are the Cham songs gonna be as good? I was like, oh no, they still work to super well. Excellent. The end song does not work. No, it doesn't. It gave it, me the subtitles for it, and I was reading it, and I was like, every time I. I passed the station on the train. What? <laughs> yeah, it's weird, man. Um, with um, that was um, <clears throat> that was one bit I really liked as well, where it was kind of like um, when Mima starts seeing the ghost of Cham Mima, and she's like sort of like f- flying along like the s- the streets of Tokyo. Yeah. I thought it was kind of I thought it was really kind of creepy. I was like, this is really. Cham Mima was so creepy. Right. And like, oh, there's like little moments that I'm even realizing now of like, you know, they're in the car driving someplace and it's Mima and Rumi. And you can see Rumi's reflection in Mima's window. And I was like, oh, that's like when she sees Cham mm. Mima. I, I did not click it. Not, I clicked it like two seconds ago. Guess what? Seen it four times, never noticed that. <laughs> Thanks, Becca. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I specifically was like, oh yeah, that's like that, that other shots. Wow, and just just there, I was like, mm. 
Oh, it was on purpose. Oh, main question, right? Main contender. Are her fish alive? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm convinced that uh, they were actually killed, and I think it was because Rumi was mad because of the scene that she filmed. She literally went home, killed killed Mima's fish, and then left in like a fury. Yeah. Because uh, but she that... got her more fish. Yeah. And then kind of recreated it to what her room used to look like before. Yeah, man. That got me. Yeah. Because I, I remember watching it first, I was like, what the f- yeah, what? Like, the, the fish? The, the fish? Is the fish not dead? Because you've been like not trusting anything that happens. Yeah. And then when she's like, opens it up and you're like, Where, where's the apartments? There wasn't a train. Yeah. What? And then, and then you turn around and then you just see Rumi. And you just see, yeah, you just see Rumi in like Mima's, one of Mima's cham outfits. And it's just, oh man. It was such a good payoff for such a weird build up. Yeah. And then you have like the sort of like the excellent chase scene as well where you kind of see what, like, you know, Mima's shadow, but then you just see Rumi and it's just, she is giving it a roll to get to her. Yeah. Like the whole time when. Cham Mima was just floating everywhere and bouncing. I was like, oh, I really want to see just Ruby just like eh, 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 yeah. climbing over stuff. Like, eh. yeah. And so when it finally got it and you saw like her like sweating and running and like such mad intensity and focus on her, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is what I wanted. <laughs> it was like yes. <laughs> enough to satisfy me, but like not too long that I was like, okay, yeah, you've made your point. Like, yeah, it's... like this is a bit excessive. Yeah. Um, I think that's one thing that Con gets a lot of thing that people talk about with Con is that, particularly with the way he edits and specific shots, is that he like he loves to do a lot of match cuts, which you, like like you would have noticed with the uh, the starting segment where Mima's doing yeah, like a shot. Yeah, what was giving me? We need to talk about Kevin vibes. Yeah. Um, and like I love that bit where you get after the screwdriver scene. <coughs> oh, hang on, that was a voice break. The screwdriver really got to you. Mm-hmm. And you get to the screwdriver scene, and then you see Mima looking at the the corpse. She like he- like super heavy breathing, and then all the lights just kind of go up, and it's like she's just getting the applause from the from the crew. And you're like, "What is going on?" Yeah, if you've never experienced whiplash in your life, watch this film, and you'll get it. Yeah, yeah, that's I I couldn't have summed that up about myself. That's that's exactly what I would say. Because Jesus, man, it's. Like especially that last half where everything starts to go crazy, um, but like I love all the little stuff at the build up. Like you get like when Mima's getting in her car and like you hear the paparazzi and stuff and her fans, and then you just hear one guy in the background going, "I'm always watching Mima's room," and you're like, "What the?" Yeah, immediately I'm like, "Hello, what is Mima's room?" And then we cut to Mima's room, and you're like, "Oh no." Mm. I'm sorry about how close I'm like getting to this microphone. I, I think it's you're like, like you were Mima's talking room. about you were talking about how much. You don't like it, and now my brain's like, keep doing it. It's immediately be like, do it. <laughs> Essentially, I have a tiny Palpatine in my mind that just makes me do weird Mimi stuff that people don't like. Weird Mima stuff. <laughs> you got it. Got him. Um, and then we have um, so we have the weird stuff in Mimania. Oh, and then we have the sort of big sort of scene which people even say was kind of like Mima's big turning point for her being like no I'm an actress I'm not a singer anymore was that filming that that club scene where she's like doing the striptease and then you get yeah 
yeah, it was real sort of graphic and brutal, but mm-hmm. I also appreciated that like they still kept it on the movie set. It would be so easy to take it stylistically and stuff, but like no, the sort of like okay, pass, no, hold there, and then like the guy's like, yeah. I'm so sorry, and she's like, no, it's fine, we're acting, sort of. Yeah, but because I remember like watching it, it was kind of like a nervous laughter. Like I felt as uncomfortable as like um the as like me as Rumi and the the other guy who's like kind of Mima's manager. Yeah. Um, where I was just like, this is not. But like, like Rumi literally storms out. She's that upset, which makes it that that's when she went off and just killed the fish. <laughs> yeah, but because she's such like a mom figure, you think she's just sad. Mm-hmm. And like you know, losing the innocence, you don't think it's like she's destroying herself and becoming Mima. Like it's it's so built up, but like a little bit hidden. Well, not a little bit. Like I sort of figured out that it was Ruby just before um she came out dressed as Cham Mima, mm-hmm. and I was like you know what, Rumi's acting a little bit, maybe Rumi killed people. Like, I was just like, oh, maybe that. And then she came out, I was like, oh. I had no idea she she was being Mima. Yeah. I thought Mima was being other people. Yeah, you thought, yeah, because, like, you, you think it's Mima doing it to herself. She's just blacking yeah. it out. Um, Yeah, can you tell a lot of inspiration from Black Swan was from this? <laughs> yeah, I also really like that film. Yeah. Except for that bit when she pulls her... N- skin off her fingernail that that scene can literally go to super hell for being gay um, <laughs> okay i've not seen it sorry that means you need to leave all the explanation of super helen that's fine i quite like the explanation of super hell it's pretty funny yeah it's no one was expecting it you should have seen my tumblr it was so lit like people who hadn't been on in years were suddenly back and posting about Dean and Castiel and Supernatural and Super Hell and being gay. My favourite post was just a simple text post that was like, I don't know what version of hell we're living in, but it's definitely Super Hell and we're definitely here because we're all gay. Dun dun dun! As Excellent. we are in Super Hell. Oh. Was there anything you particularly in the film that you weren't gelling with or vibing with it all or just I at the end just it's just going like... real good Mima's mm-hmm. been stabbed in the heart concern she's running away floaty Mima is behind her coming for her I'm wanting Mima to live so hard mm-hmm. you see Rumi running it's the shot I wanted I was living for it she gets her like loses her screwdriver and gets the umbrella and I was like oh living for this she stabs her with the umbrella I'm like oh. yeah. and then they shatter the window and she takes off the wig and I'm like haha the kryptonite and then Rumi just lies down on a bit of glass she's like trying to reach for the wig like I got it but I didn't it's a, it's see a bit it. clumsy it's a bit clumsy that was the only bit where I was like okay that didn't pay off as good as I wanted it to. I wanted to like her to be like desperately reaching for the wig because you figure out she was going for the wig because she's holding the wig afterwards. Yeah. But it felt like she was like, and I need to die now. Rather yeah. than like I need my wig back. I need. Yeah, to it's kind of like, oh, let's, let's conclude the movie. And upon the glass I shall lie and the yeah. end of the movie shall cometh. 
Just, I'm surprised you survived that, because that's a lot of blood that comes out when she fucking gets off that glass. <laughs> well, to be fair, she stumbles into a truck. Yeah. And then is like... Wow, and also adrenaline does a lot for, like, blood yeah. loss, and she, like, passes out immediately afterwards. And then, like, the ambulance gets there, like, immediately. Yeah. That, um... That shot of, like, Mima... Like... Cham Mimo with like the blood on her face with the hand on. That's like the most. That's like the the shot that I saw of Perfect Blue for years before I even saw it. Where it was kind of like, I don't know. I guess that's literally it saying goodbye. <laughs> yeah. And warping the image of the purity of a uh, Cham Mimo. I liked the bit when she hulked out and broke her teacup. Oh God, yeah. Which she's just like she's like, huh. And she's like, talk about all the stuff she did. Blood. Yeah. Is it real? And I'm like, Mima, you poor soul. Honey, yes. And then she wakes up and there's nothing on her hands. And I'm like, I don't know. What is happening? Was it real? Yeah. Also, as a a little side note, I loved how detailed Mima's room is. There's shit. There's like just shit everywhere. Like, it feels like someone actually lives in that fucking little apartment. Um, And like, lived in and there's like clutter the the when you know she's in the wrong room and it's weird because their cham posters up but she took that down there later yeah that was like the first thing she did when she got home she's like see you later yeah. cham we're done here relationship with cham ended yeah but it's like you see the little bits as well where like cham's doing better without her and she's like yeah. oh that's really good good for them and you're just like oh that would sting oh that would sting a little bit even if you're trying to move on, that would still feel a bit like, oh. I know? mean, a bit, but it says a lot about her that it doesn't sting for her. Yeah. And it's like the weird psychosis that's happening is getting to her, but the actual concept of Cham doing fine without her, yeah. she's just happy for them because she's able to live out her life the way she wants to now, rather than being in Rumi's image. Yeah. And then you have... um the bits where she she films the scene she comes back she was fine about doing it and then the fish did it and she just loses it she gets so upset because that was like it was just like that was it that was the tipping point and then you have like the stuff where she does like the sort of naked photo shoots and then it cuts to like Mr. Mimania just being so upset and like profusely sweating while he's buying all of them to make sure no one else yeah. can see them and you're like okay this is this is this is uh this isn't good and then you see like um like uh, Chamima beside him, telling him everything's gonna be okay. You're my one true fan. Yeah, the posters are talking to him. Yeah, and it's just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this movie. I think it's yeah. I, I think, also uh... enjoyed it. I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, yeah. I'm glad. I'm really glad because I was like, I, 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 I had a feeling because of the sort of horror stuff that this would be up your alley. So like, um, yeah, just get me one where people die on screen, and I will be mostly sold on it. Yeah, it already like goes up halfway up the podcast film list if there's like horror in it because horror is my jam. It is indeed. And speaking of which, where would you place this in the list? I've already placed it. You've placed it? I have placed it. Let me get my list up. Go for it. My list is as follows. At number one, Little Shop of Horrors. Of course. Because it's horror and a musical. 
what more is to Becca's taste. <laughs> Second is Nightmare on Elm Street because it's a horror and a classic and why not? Third is You Were Never Really Here because I really jived with that and I really enjoyed it. Fourth is Perfect Blue. Yeah! It's, it's one out over Dark Crystal. I can't believe it. I know, I right? actually can't believe it. But it's because... <laughs> Holy shit. If it wouldn't win out over Dark Crystal, the TV show. No. You should watch it. But, yeah. Because the Dark Crystal film's quite slow, but it's quite easy to watch. But I was, like, so so hyped and into this. Like, I, I sat and watched the whole of it. Yeah. Which is like, amazing we, for me. Usually I don't sit and watch films. I do things while I watch films. Well, you said to me specifically, Becca, like, at the start, you're like, I, I paused. I paused the movie to do something and then come it. back and watch it. Because I went in to boil the kettle and I came back and she filmed her bloody clothes and I was like, I'm missing it. I can't. I can't. I need to see mm. everything. And Where I, are you placing it? It's it's my number one. It's my favourite. It's, no, it's my it's my, it's my favorite it's my favorite film on the list. Uh, what was your it, old number one? My old number one was Kev. And to be honest, I probably changed Kev with you were never really here at this point. They can swap places for now. So you were never really here and then Kev. And then Scream. And then Bone Tomahawk. I'm not the biggest fan of Scream. I'm just saying. I, I don't know. I the, I just loved it. I, 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 I thought it was quite... I liked the sense of humour. I thought it was really funny. I liked... Um, I liked the sort of mystery of everything. Of trying to figure out who's who. I didn't know there was going to be two. Oh yeah, it does get you there. I suppose yeah. for me, um, I don't have that with Scream. I don't. I've never had the like. Who is it? I've always known who it was because like, watched it from like a stupidly young age, like many other horror films in my life. And so like, yeah, there was never that to it. It was just always like, yeah, that film where Matthew Lillard kills a bunch of people and also that other guy's there. Spoilers yeah. for Scream, by the way. Yeah, it was Shaggy, Shaggy, who done it. <laughs> Dare he? Right. Uh, I think that's going to do it from us. You have What's your else? favorite bit? What's your favorite bit in it? Favorite bit, perfect blue. Fa- favorite bit and least favorite bit. Uh, my, I think in terms of just pure discomfort, I the the, the club scene, I, it just makes me so uncomfortable. I think it's a really well shot scene, but it just I find it painful to watch. Why do you always play into your Sam likes uncomfortable media narrative? Mm. But this is my least favorite scene. <laughs> I think uh, you didn't specify least favorite, and I was very concerned for a minute. Okay, my my favorite scene is it's also the club scene. <laughs> it's also the club scene. No, it's um, it's Mima seeing the fish alive because it's 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 the big penny drop moment. It's the big reveal yeah. of like, wait what? Wait what? Wait what? The and, fish? Then sh- and then and then sh- like blub blub, and then sh- and then that shortly followed by the chase scene where Mima's just getting like. Followed by Ghost Mima, like jumping along across lampposts, and I'm like, I can't deal with this. This is terrifying. <laughs> and it was really good. I lo- I I love this movie. Um, yeah. Ghost Mima, I I would say is also my favorite bit. Yeah. Right up until Ruby lies on glass. That's my <laughs> least favorite bit. That's fair. Um, but yeah, I think that's gonna do it from us. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Yeah. What's our I, next film, Sam? Our next film is the second... Is this is his third film. We're going to skip his second one. Oh. Uh, oh we could watch it. F. I do have it. I, we F's could watch it. chat for a second film. I could watch his second film. His second film is really good. 
it's a really lovely sweet film and it was your choice your director okay sick we're going to do a second film then we're going to watch Millennium Actress <laughs> we take back the F's in chat for the second film yeah F's in chat revoke we're going to watch Millennium Actress which I do believe is dubbed as well and I believe this one Louise I, would definitely be able to read. watch no but I mean for Louise for, for ease oh, of watching for Louise if Louise, if Louise wants to be in on it, if, if not, that's totally fine. I know she's busy. Alas, Louise, Louise is a very busy boy right now. But it means we can invite other guests on. Exactly, exactly. I have many a people I could turn to and ask to be on podcasts. Radical. I like the sound of that. I've got a few people in mind as well. Uh, and I'll keep posting. Is it me? Yes, it's you, Becca. Oh, All the guests so are glad Becca. I get to be on the, on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. I look forward to when I can record it. You're very welcome. Thanks, Sam. You're welcome, Becca. So Thanks, Sam. It's really, it's really nice of you to appreciate that. I like to whisper to you because it makes you feel really uncomfortable. Oh God! Why did I? Why did I? Why did I do this? Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> oh God! So Sam told me earlier that he really hates ASMR when people whisper into microphones. So that's why I've been doing it this whole time. Thanks, Becca. Appreciate it. Love you. <laughs> so, on that note, join us next time when we go through Millennium Actress. Woo! Woo! Bye bye, everybody. Bye.